Hi, I'm Samantha, a past guest on C-Jam's HandyLink. You're listening to HandyLink on C-Jam 99.1 FM, reaching high ground in Windsor, Detroit. Sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor-Essex. For more information, check out ICHA on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. In this segment of our show, Chelsea Walker will be telling us a little bit about the Whistler Adaptive Sports Program. So what can you tell me about Whistler Adaptive Sports? Well, Whistler Adaptive Sports is in our 22nd year. We're what's known as a local multi-sport organization. And we provide service um, across 18 different sports programs to individuals aged 3 and up with a physical, cognitive, sensory, or disability, or a neurodiversity. So... What types of disabilities or uh, neurodiversities do you most commonly see? Uh, interestingly, we just finished a program audit, and um, what our findings there were that we do see quite a bit of cognitive and disabilities as well as um, individuals on the autism spectrum. Um, but also 11% of our participant base is um, individuals with PTSD, which is also very interesting. Um, but we do also serve individuals with spinal cord injury, uh, amputees, traumatic brain injury, um, individuals with limb differences, uh, visual impairment, hearing impairment, uh, you name it. So out of curiosity, for those with PTSD, what are some of the most beneficial programs? Well, we have a very strong partnership with uh, Soul Drawing Canada where we host an allied winter camp with them on an annual basis, not this year due to COVID, uh, where up to 40 individuals uh, from Great Britain, from the United States, Canada, and Australia come together in a peer-based camp where they experience um, multiple sports in a winter setting. And what's really amazing about the camp is that it's truly life-changing because uh, they're able to experience uh, these new sports to them uh, with individuals who are on a similar journey and you know if they're sitting at home and they might not know somebody else with PTSD whereas suddenly if you're surrounded by 40 other individuals who understand your experience um, you create quite a strong bond and almost like a worldwide family that you can depend on uh, in your darker days. So I'd imagine with uh, PTSD coming from a military situation that some of those affected also would have things like injuries or limb loss or absolutely in the early days when we started running these camps um we saw quite a bit of uh, physical injury um and because we were really really close um 
to the end of, um, you know, being in the theater of war in Afghanistan, uh, and also Iraq. But the further we get from being in an active theater of war is we actually see fewer physical injuries and more, uh, you know, psychological and or uh, long-term health um, issues. So somebody might have come to us with PTSD as well as might be a cancer uh, survivor. So it, it, it is interesting the further away we get, the fewer physical injuries we see. Well, that brings up an interesting point in so much as uh, someone's going through something like cancer treatment. They might go through so much, might result in PTSD from a different cause. Absolutely, yeah. And, and trauma is trauma. Uh, so, you know, definitely we do see PTSD um, in a military setting, but also we've started to to work with uh, firefighters and members of the RCMP uh, or, you know, former coroners because, um, you know, trauma is something that's very real. And to be able to, to connect with somebody else who understands the effects of that trauma in um, a sports setting is really powerful because, you know, you can have that quiet moment as you're hiking along beside each other. You don't even need to say anything. It's just, you know, knowing you have that shared experience is, um, is something that is comforting. So... In terms of modified equipment for the sports programs, uh, what do you folks most commonly use? Uh, in the summer, our more popular um, pieces of equipment that are used are um, our three-wheel mountain bikes. So we do have a fleet, a small fleet of adaptive mountain bikes, so which are very heavily used. Um, we also have um, adaptive kayaks with pontoons, as well as rowing shells with pontoons that um, are commonly used. As well, we also actually have, we have a paddleboard. Um, that also has a pontoon set up and a surf chair attached to it. So, so those are our more popular summer uh, program um, options for adaptive equipment. In the winter, uh, both Nordic sit skis as well as um, alpine sit skis and alpine adaptive equipment are also very heavily used. So I'm guessing for uh, the modified mountain bike, that would be something for someone with uh, coordination issues or possibly a limb difference. Yeah, um, so typically it would be a lower limb um, difference or a spinal cord injury or, as you said, a coordination issue, hemiplegia. Um, and we set our bikes up so that um, uh, we have three different models um, and one is set up specifically for tetraplegics. So you can actually break and, um, and shift with your elbow uh, and your hands are pinned um, into tetra grips so that um, you don't need to have a lot of hand function in order to, to go biking, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, the other bikes are set up for individuals with um, either lower level spinal cord injury or uh, limb difference um, below the hip. So I'm wondering, in your time with Whistler Adaptive, has there been any success moment that stands out for you? Oh, absolutely. Um, so many. <laughs> it's hard to choose just one, but um, you know, one of the uh, the beautiful things about um, Nordic sit skiing, for example, is I've had families out where an individual is coming straight out of uh, GF Strong, so the rehab facility um, for BC and Yukon, and um, and actually they were still inpatient, and we were able to teach them how to. Uh, Nordic cross-country ski in a Nordic ski, and they were skiing independently with their family that day. And it was just such a beautiful moment to to watch them be able to connect as a family and have a sense of normalcy out on the trails and, um, and experience nature again. So, are there any projects on the horizon for 
Whistler Adaptive? Anything you'd like to see added, maybe? Yeah, well, we're definitely looking to grow um, each of our existing programs, but to deepen the level of participation in each one. Um, it makes a lot of sense right now, especially with COVID, where we've had to focus in on uh, programs where, we can't, where we, there is no sharing of equipment. So, unfortunately, we've had to drop some of our other programs, like Canoe, um, in favor of kayak. At the same time, we've been able to increase the participation in those programs. And also what's really been interesting about COVID is, uh, although we haven't had our regionals through to international visitors, is the number of participants um, actively accessing programming with us has not changed. So we've had a surge in local participation, especially at the Squamish area, uh, where families didn't know uh, about the programming that we're able to offer. So um, to be able to connect with them um, and connect with more locals has been absolutely amazing. So, when you mentioned uh, canoeing and kayaking, I'm guessing there are similar accommodations to uh, the bike controls that could be made for someone with an amputation or a limb difference so they can operate uh, uh, the rowing system. Uh, absolutely, yeah. So, um, rowing, uh, kayaking, canoeing, um, so there's seats that can be used um, to provide lateral support. Um, you know, you can have a, a pivot um, uh, mounted uh, in the kayak and be able to slot the, uh, the paddle through so you can actually paddle uh, one limb um, or if, if you have hemiplegia and you might have a weakness on the one side you know it doesn't really matter because as long as the stronger arm is being moved then, uh, then you can still propel yourself. Uh, canoeing is a little bit more challenging in that respect given that um, uh, you do paddle one side or the other um, however, there are some great new seats coming out on the market um, that we're investigating in order to make um, canoeing more accessible uh, for for individuals, for example, with um, cerebral palsy who might not have hand function. So, if you could send any message to the community about the need for inclusion and equality in athletics, what would you say? Well, sport is for everyone, and everyone is an athlete. And just because... Um, you might think you might have a limitation. Um, there's always some a way to work around that, and really the sky is the limit um, in terms of being able to get out to be independent. There is a sport there for you. There is a piece of equipment there for you, and um, you know we at Whistler Adaptive are here to support in any way we can. I'd thank you for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. No problem at all. In this segment of our show, Bernice Wong will be telling us a little bit about wheelchair tennis. So, tell me a little about your experiences with wheelchair tennis. Um, I've been, uh, personally I've been playing since 30 years, um, and uh, we have a wheelchair sports club here that's been going for about 40 years, and um, we got about six active members, and we've all been playing together for a long time. So, what are some of the benefits of uh, being involved with the sport? Um, it's I I find it, you know, for fitness. Um, lets other new people who who are new to the sport also find it it's a great outlet for getting fit. Um, they can play. You can play. Tennis, wheelchair tennis with able body or other people sitting. Um, you know, 
and being and getting that exercise, you know, it helps, you know, in your everyday life too. So, in terms of uh, how it helps in everyday life, can you elaborate a little on that? Well, you feel stronger, you feel mentally better, so, you know, you feel more like going out and do stuff, or stronger, just mentally and physically better in your day-to-day life. So, how does the club go about reaching out to the disability community? Um... A lot of word by mouth. Uh, we're affiliated with the BC Wheelchair Sports Clubs. Um, there's other organizations that uh, reach out to us as well. Um, yeah, it's basically it. Um, you know, there's other groups out there that reach out to us for newly injured, like spinal cord injuries that uh, reach out to us for their new, newly injured or... There's other, yeah, just different groups out there that reach out to us. So, do you use any modified equipment in wheelchair tennis? It's um, for, it's a, basically a lightweight chair with, um, the, the wheels are tampered out so that you can turn easier. Um, depending on your disability, it, it varies on modification. So... If you're comfortable, could you share a little bit of your story of how you got into the sport and uh, your own condition? Um, I was born with spina bifida. I'm S1 L5 incomplete uh, paraplegic, so I can walk short distances with braces and crutches, but I mostly use a wheelchair. And uh, yeah, I started playing sports in my mid 20s and it was an outlet for me for exercise. I've always been kind of athletic-minded, so, but like I said, you know, mentally and physically, it helps me in my everyday life, and I find that it does that for other people as well. So, during these times of uh, pandemic and everything, have you noticed that uh, being active has had any sort of mental health impact? Yeah, it is, because, um, as I mentioned, I'm usually very physically active. I play tennis twice a week. I go to the gym two or three times a week, and I play sledge hockey. So, yeah, it's it's just, it's been really hard, you know, not being able to play, you know, while in BC here, we're not allowed to, we're allowed to play single tennis, but we can't have group lessons. We're not allowed to play doubles, and that includes inside or outside courts. Um, so, yeah, it's been really hard, and a lot of people in my circumstances are feeling the same things. Sometimes a group of us will go for a wheel together just to get out, get the fresh air. So, in your time with the sport, what's been the greatest success that you've seen? Well, it's been neat to watch it develop as a sport itself, but, you know, just seeing people being able to get out there, whether, you know, they've been disabled all their life like me or newly injured they can go out with their friends and play together it's just something you can do with anybody who likes to play tennis too so if you could send any message to the community and all those young athletes out there might be newly injured wondering can i still live a sport life what would you tell them oh definitely there's so many different sports um, agencies 
uh, gyms that are that are usually pretty open to anybody using a wheelchair, or you just if you, even if I found even when I was doing marathons in my racing chair, if there wasn't an event open, I just asked if I could join, and I didn't get knocked down too often. So, you know, either you gotta look for it, or you gotta just go out and try. I'd love to hear a little more about uh, your marathon experience. What was that like for you? Yeah, it was, I like challenges, so I've done a various sports, and one of the first sports that I did was uh, wheelchair racing. I did uh, track for the longest time, and I didn't like it because it was just boring going around and around, so I took up road racing, and I did 8Ks, 10Ks, half marathons. I've done three or four marathons, and it was great. It was like being out there with other people running. It was great. Both of us, you know, all of us, just be out there among this nice big community, and uh, yeah, it was fun. So what are the next steps in your sports journey? Well, as I get older, I just um, play recreational tennis and, and still going to the gym like wheel six to eight kilometers four days a week. So, yeah. And when uh, this COVID is over, I'll go back to playing tennis twice a week, stretch hockey. So, like to thank you for taking the time out to do this. But if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Andy Link will be right back after these commercial messages. So stay tuned. The Center for Teaching and Learning at the University of Windsor is calling for nominations for GA and TA awards for educational practice and educational leadership, recognizing contributions that graduate and undergraduate teaching assistants make to the University of Windsor's learning environment. The deadline for nominations is May 28, 2021 at 5 p.m. Visit uwindsor.ca slash ctl slash 411 slash GATA hyphen awards for more information and to submit a nomination. Welcome back to HandyLink, sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor-Essex. For more information, check out ICHA on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. Earlier in our show, Chelsea Walker told us a little bit about Whistler Adaptive Sports, and we heard a little bit about wheelchair tennis from Bernice Wong. In the next segment of our show, I'll be chatting with Alex Thompson, Power for All. So, can you tell me a little bit about Power for All? Sure. Um, we are now on our 12th year. Um, we're just a small organization uh, run by volunteer efforts, and we are serving uh, clients here in the Fraser Valley in British Columbia. And um, we got started uh, when I was... Um, a coach in um, for paddling sports and one day I was sitting on the dock looking at all the 
um, children and youth that were training. And I don't know why I thought about what it would be like if I couldn't do what I was doing because I, I, I love the water. And I think that thought just started this whole journey of me looking into what was available for people who live with a variety of disabilities. And I wasn't able to find much paddling um, for people with disabilities. And so um, I talked to the club that I was working for and we got started. And to be honest, I thought it was just going to be like, you know, we get 10 people or something for the summer season. And nope. It, uh, it was a lot of people, and it was uh, we needed volunteers, and there was an overwhelming response for volunteers, and it's, it just grew from them. I don't know if you want me to go into details about the story, but just to tell you that it started as a small idea, and it, now it's become what it is um, unexpectedly. So what sort of modifications do you make for those with mobility issues so they can actually paddle alongside the, the able-bodied counterparts? Um, so one of the things that I notice um, that a lot of our clients seek is as much independence as possible. Um, a lot of them, they, they don't mind going for a ride if that's the only thing that will allow them to be on the water, but if they're able to propel themselves and, you know, kind of guide themselves in one way or another, uh, they feel more accomplished. And so we have uh, paddle boards that have outriggers so that, let's say you are one person that your ability varies, you know, sometimes it may be easy for you to balance, but maybe after a while you get tired and it's going to be harder to balance. So these paddleboards can have uh, wheelchairs on top, and uh, those wheelchairs, like I said, are removable depending on what people need. They are riggers, basically, um, they forbid the paddleboard from ever tipping over. And then um, the types of paddles that we use, uh, it's a variety of them. Some of them are very light, and so that it helps with some energy conservation. And because the paddleboards are so um, wide and long, some of our clients, it may even be that, you know, they have a couple of strokes that they give, and then they can have a body on the back that can uh, supplement. But clients are always doing um, what they feel can do. That's for paddleboards. And then for kayaks, uh, we have a variety of equipment that is kind of similar um, it, could, it will support people, you know, if you can't hold yourself up by sitting. Uh, we have seating equipment. Um, if you only have one arm or maybe the function of your arm comes and goes, uh, we have uh, paddling devices that can be attached to the kayak and then they will compensate for whatever is needed. Um, we also have doubles where... You know, if steering hard is something that's not possible, but you can still propel yourself, you can have a body at the back. Um, and then we also have equipment that has different labels or tags. So maybe if cognition is your thing and, and you may not remember 
or it's hard to remember so many steps, there's ways to compensate for that as well. And when we teach the paddling, there's a lot of different aids and a, a lot of differentiation in the instructions so that, you know, people don't feel stigmatized, uh, but at the same time, they feel like they understand what they need to do. So, in this work, have you ever customized uh, kayaking or paddling for someone with a vision impairment? Yes. Um, actually, a lot of the equipment that we have, uh, we didn't start with. Um, and because of the different clients that we have and what they want to accomplish, uh, we've had to either force it out or um, I'm an occupational therapist myself. So there's a lot of the pieces that we have actually designed with bioengineers um, and just engineers in the community in general who can help us. So for visual, um, it depends on the degree that people need. But again, you know, having a body on the paddleboard or the kayak may be something that helps. Sometimes some people don't want to have a body. They want to do it themselves. So we can put some ropes um in a course, and then that kind of guides people through um, where they need to go. Um, it's kind of, I guess, similar to what you would use in uh, track and field. I don't know for people who live with visual challenges. It's a similar idea. So, in your time with Power for All, is there any success moment that stands out for you? Um, I, th I think there's many clients that have taught us a lot. Um, I think the one particular person that has really inspired me is uh, we had a client who um, he came with a spinal cord injury and um, he was not really classified as living with quadriplegia, but because he still had some movement in his arms and hand, but it was almost as if he lived with quadriplegia. And he came and he used to be a, a guide for kayaking trips for people in the tourism industry. And after his diving accident, he basically was told that he'll never walk and that he will never um, paddle anymore. So he came to us, and when he came, you know, we got all the equipment, right, for seating, for everything, and uh, he was hesitant to use it. He wanted to try things as much as possible on his own. Um, so as a therapist, that was a challenge for me because I wanted him to be safe, and I wanted to use the equipment, but I respected him. So we kind of compromised in some of the equipment that he would use, and then the safety um, and one of our buddies was really right beside him. He was in single kayak, and um, after, on the first session, he actually did go a little bit sideways, and he was uh, his body was falling into the water slightly because he didn't have the seating uh, equipment. So he basically got you know a little bit of his the side of his face wet and. Um, he came back to shore and he's like, okay, yes, you know, let's put the seating. So we did and I showed him how to do a sculling a stroke that helps you to push yourself up and he was able to do that, adapted, but he was able to do it. 
Anyways, at the end of the session that day, um, he asked us if we would go for a beer, uh, all the volunteers, and we did. And what he said to us was that uh, he was coming to us as his last resort because he wasn't finding much purpose in life anymore. And that day, um, because of what he had experienced, he had um, gained that back and he actually wanted to live. Um, and so, you know, you never know. seems very small to get into a kayak, but for some people, that's meaningful, right? Meaningful enough to want to live. And so every time I tell that story, I always get teary um, because it really changed people's lives, even though it seems like something very small. Like, thank you for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Okay. My friends, one of the great tragedies in disability life is when disability athletics are overlooked. But the fact is, it's still a high-performance, high-speed game. For many of these athletes, they can go out there and play as well, if not better, than their able-bodied counterparts. The fact is, we in society don't often see a lot of coverage or representation for these sports. Really, in my opinion, it's something we can do better as a people. The fact is, any athlete is but one injury away from finding themselves playing a modified game. Because of one moment in time, should it be that they should lose something that they love? This has been HandyLink. I'm your host, Cam Wells, reminding you we're all equal. So get on out there and have yourselves a good one. Something tells me you've earned it, folks. We'll see you next week.